Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Okay, anyway, here we go. We're recording. All right. Hey, everybody. So, well, I, okay, I was going to tackle one of uh, Sam Dobler's topics, the role of small groups in the church, and I would like to do a little bit more research on it and talk to some people who are uh, better versed in it before tackling that. So, Sam, if you're listening, we'll get to that maybe next time. Uh, in the meantime... <laughs> Why are you looking like that? Just go for it. Okay. Say it. Um, I I want to talk about the role of church in accommodating people, mm-hmm. and and you know we, we as a church, I think we try to accommodate people. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know we've got online worship, we've got in person worship. You know we're we're trying to basically you know multi prong like hit everybody and make mm-hmm. sure everybody mm-hmm. their needs are met. Mm-hmm. And at what point? Um, you know, how far do, do we go with accommodating people before it becomes enabling or... Because mm-hmm. two of the things we try to do are be welcoming and make things easy for people. Yeah. Right. So anybody feels welcome and it's effortless. They're just at home here and they can sign up for this or that or go on our website or, you know, anything like that. So for example, um, if you are a person who... um. You know, there's been a lot of talk about bathrooms and gender identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is just kind of one example. Um, how do we as a church, I mean, what's, how do we accommodate that? Or, um, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think there's, you wanted to take this even a step farther. Y- yes. Okay. But I want, I wanted to verify was... what I heard okay. before bringing it up. So maybe I'll just. All right. You verify it. I think this is going to be a huge challenge for the Christian church in many different ways, um, because I don't know if it was the church that necessarily started accommodating people. I feel like, especially in the modern church, um, a lot of these accommodations came from secular business principles. Mm -hmm. Peter Drucker was kind of the first person to say the customer's always right, and he was Mm -hmm. really big on, on... on uh, making the customer your your target, and so removing any kind of interference or bound or, or you know making making sure the customer feels welcome, and and then it was Rick Warren who took Peter Drucker's business acumen and his business uh, focus and applied it to the Christian Church, and then started um, you know kind of creating what we call like the contemporary church. Now I think there's a lot of biblical reasons to do that. Um, but I do think that it shows some of the disadvantages of the customer's always right mentality mm-hmm. when the customer might be going against something that we believe is biblically clear. Uh, for example, you know, when we talk up, open up the first page of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created human beings, he created male and female in the image of God. And we want to hold to that idea that, God created human beings, male and female. And so um, to, to jump into the cultural idea right now that there's more than two genders uh, and then, you know, make that a statement. Now you're just not accommodating. Now you're making a statement that 
you know, that we believe would not go against scripture. Although we still want to do everything we can to, um, you know, connect, walk alongside, be there for somebody who has all these different perspectives. Um, I think that would be crossing the line. Do you, do you not think that somebody could biologically be created Mm -hmm. to be, well, I mean, uh, in gender confusion. I mean, sure. So I know some, we, we some people are like born intersex, like a tiny percentage. Of yeah, people and we're are. talking. What is the percentage of that? Is it oh, is it point five percent? Okay, yeah. all right. Well, so Th- I those mean, are people that literally, like, if you said, "Are you male or female?" They could say both. both. Sure. Right. You know. Right. Right, and you know that's a an abnormality, right? That's not the common. Yeah. Right, I, but I then to take people, that and to blow that yeah. up as this is a point zero zero whatever percent, but then even I know I've known some people who who kind of when they're born, yeah, there wasn't wasn't clear the X Y chromosome, yeah, you know, right, that right. kind of thing, and so they almost had to choose, and then once they chose, like they built into that, they lived in in that kind of um, in that kind of world. I think right now. Um, well, there's still has to be so much more research, but one of the books that I've really found helpful when it comes to how did we get here um, is the rise and the rise and triumph of the modern self by uh, Carl Truman, and he just he kind of walks through historically how did we get to this point where our grandparents would not have this would not have been their radar if 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 somebody would say you know I'm a man trapped in a woman's body our grandparents would not even that wouldn't even be a coherent statement. Um, and he talks about how a lot of it is Freud kind of sexualized the self. So my self, my identity is more about um, my sexuality or my sexual urges or whatever they are. That is my true self. And then um, also um, from Freud and Rousseau and some other philosophers really saying like the point of life is self-actualization and personal happiness. So if anything keeps me from um, identifying my true self and my sexuality and anything is keeping me from true happiness, like that's the enemy. And so I think that's led us down almost an incoherent path as to, yeah, how to use a bathroom. And, and, you know, it was maybe five years ago where Target was kind of, the, the, the store Target was kind of in the center of the news because they were the first ones to kind of have gender-neutral bathrooms. And J.K. Rowling was one of the ones, I, the, the writer of, of um, the Harry Potter series, who, as a survivor of domestic abuse, um, she really says we really do need a category for women's rights and women women who've suffered domestic abuse and if we totally blur the lines of what it means to be a man and woman we're going to really lose the pr- protecting uh protecting women and she was concerned that a lot of that would happen in the bathroom so i don't know i there's a lot of different ways we can go down this but i i feel like um whatever we were trying to accomplish as a as a country by blurring all these categories has this helped has this helped? Has it has it made people feel more safe? Has it made people feel more validated? Has it really reduced the number of suicides or or, or mental health? And, and I don't think it has. And the statistics are proving that. So I, I don't know if this is really working. Um, 
the Christian way of looking at it is everyone's going to have a cross because we are broken people, and everybody's going to have to fight against something. Um, there's no Christian who's not going to have to fight against something. So, I think part of the problem, though, is just like a business, mm-hmm. um, a church that's sort of targeting um, a, a demographic sure. or is playing by the the customer is always right slogan, yeah. um, you face repercussions than if you yes. don't. Right. So there, I mean, mm-hmm. if, that, if that gets, you can't have bad press as a church. Right. Because and then you're intolerant. Right. And now you've made a bad name. And like our church is our church. Um, I would say like we have sort of a target demographic, mm-hmm. you know, judging by who is here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we do everything we can to make sure our branding is all inclusive and on the up and up. Yeah. And that would look really bad for our church because we do the customers almost right in a lot of ways. It's right. always right in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what happens if if someone approaches you and says, like, "Hey, I'm non-binary. Yeah. Like, do you have where's the where's the gender-neutral bathroom?" Exactly. And, and we have like some some bathrooms that are just for single you, uh, one person at a time or whatever. Right. Um, that's probably the way to go, but how many other businesses are making that decision? I don't. I still see male and female bathrooms almost everywhere I go. Do you see it more often that there is a? I've seen more frequent, like more often now. I've seen kind of that single, you know, mm-hmm. bathroom or mm-hmm. the, or and it'll have like you know the little stick man and stick woman on, <laughs> right. <laughs> indicating mm-hmm. like anybody can go here. Mm-hmm. So was interesting i think this has been changed now but st john's hopkins you know just well recognized uh hospital for a period stopped doing sex change surgeries because the amount of people who wanted them reversed now that's not politically correct anymore uh, and so they had to go back on that but there was a, a long period where they said this is not helping um we're this is not solving whatever kind of uh, crisis they're feeling, and um, and and I really would encourage people to go to like J.K. Rowling's Twitter page and some of the things that she's put up there, and the articles that she has written on this topic, and she has not backed down, and she's, you know, she is pro alternative alternative lifestyle on almost everything, but she does still believe that um, there's such a thing as a man and a woman, and it's okay to talk like that. Yeah. So this is a big topic. I, I do think that um, the customer's always right uh, mentality is is probably not going to work for the Christian church in the next generation. And there's a lot of young people, younger than even you, young man, who, <laughs> Thank you. Are, are, who are really resonating with a call to action that, hey, the Christian life is going to be hard. And it's going to be meaningful. It's going to suffer. And it's not necessarily going to go along with the culture. It's going to be counterculture, countercultural. And I'm going to have to face that and to own that. And I, I see the younger generation. Um, there's there's more and more people who are embracing that. And because I think not only do you, the customers always right can create a problem in the Christian church, but it can create a problem with the whole Christian message. Um, then you kind of mold God into you know, mm-hmm. just validating what your preconceived right. mm-hmm. ideas. So, did you want to go to the even? Not, no, not I, I kind of, I kind of uh, googled it here 
briefly and um i think it i think it was debunked okay all right so i yeah so that's I, that's why i did not want to bring it up because i wasn't i had not looked okay, it up, so. good yeah yeah that's good so it's a, it's going to be a continuing to be a challenging topic i think in our churches and schools um it's going to it's going to be the topic where uh we're going to have to speak the truth in love and uh it's. I think it's so hard because we're trying so hard to reach the unreached. Right. And you can't pick and choose the unreached. Right. You, they come as they are. Right. That's great. And so if someone comes in here, what are we going to say? Like, but we can't do something that would turn them away. Um, it, I guess that's the, another hard part of our culture today is there used to be an idea of tolerance, which tolerance meant I tolerate you as a person and I love you and care about you. I don't have to agree with everything that you, right. what, the sports team you like, the, right, right. the whatever, um, the political party that you, you, you back all that stuff. And then even your sexual identity and your orientation, like I can just love you as a person and I don't have to, but now tolerance equals approval and acceptance at every level. And if you don't approve and accept at every level, you're, you know, that's hate speech yeah, or right. intolerance. So I think that's, except if you're a Christian, um, you can be intolerant towards Christian all, all you want. So I, 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 I hope maybe we can regain that really beautiful um, distinction. And that's what the Christian message is all about, because that's how we treat ourselves. We, we love the sinner but hate the sin. You know, there's things about ourselves that we don't like, and we still accept ourselves. And so that's kind of how we're supposed to treat other people. That we, there's things that maybe we don't agree with, but we're going to still accept them and love them as a human being. Um, so, but that doesn't accepting and loving someone doesn't always mean accommodating. You know, maybe to take this off the table and talk about, you know, I don't know if you use the word enabling, right? Um, if you that was more, I, that was more for the original okay. topic that I was right. kind of thinking, but um, but you think but, about but like, same, but the same thing here. But, you know, let's let's talk even about, now this is not the same thing, obviously, but if somebody is caught in drug use or alcoholism or, or another kind of sexual sin, you know, child pornography, whatever it is, um, and they say, this is just who I am, this is just what I do, I can't stop it, um, you would, would say, say no. You'd say stop that. Yeah, you have to right. stop that. But And I will do everything I can to be there for you and walk with you but I'm not going to uh, enable that bad behavior and accommodate that bad behavior. Uh, now, I think people are trying to make distinctions between all those things. Right. Um, and and, and when, especially when you see this as a part of my life that I need to not only validate, but approve of and celebrate, I think that's going to continue to be a challenge for us as, as Christians. And there's probably, there, there has to be, many people or quite a few people in our congregations that that struggle in silence and i hope i'm always speaking in a way that they would feel that they could approach me and pastor bill i know we, so that that that's something we always have to keep on our radar you know would i say this not to me. somebody they're not coming to talk to me anyway <laughs> that's <right>. robot <laughs> that's right not, not the robot not the robot so i don't know if that helps answer the question or not um it's a challenge though it is a challenge mm-hmm. i do think service like if you if if the church is just a business too and and um there is a difference between serving your customer 
and the customer is always right. So mm-hmm. how can I serve you and do the best thing for you? And and But there is a point where maybe the customer isn't right. Well, no, and ask anybody who's ever worked in retail. Yeah. The customer <laughs> is not always right. And no, I'm serious. And it has caused customers are, you know, they feel very entitled and right. they, they have that and they know the customer is always right. You want to keep my business. Right. Therefore, I can push you around. Yes. They're and I so mean, frequently wrong. No, <laughs> no, honestly. And like, I mean, I did HR at, at Boston store for three years and boy, some of the stuff I saw, yeah. you know, from customers right. who thought that, you know, because, you, you know, the, the, that, that mentality has been bred. Right. The customer is always right. Well, no, I, I assure you they are not. Right. And, and it's not helpful either, right? No. But it's for the sake of keeping business. Right. And so is there something bigger than just keeping good business? Is it, I want to help this person. I want the, what's I want what's best for them, even if they're not right. You know, so, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about this topic again. Um, I, I don't know. I think our schools are going to be the ones who are going to be challenged by it first before the... Um, before the churches are the churches too, but our schools are most many of them walk here in school choice right now, and so that means that they're getting vouch. It's part of a voucher program, and so you have people from all sorts of backgrounds are looking for a good education, uh, and it's already starting to be challenged. All right, how much of those schools? Because you don't have to go to church, and I mean, if you don't agree with what the church says, you're probably not. You know, there's not anything of value that you would want to say. I have to be a part of this church. But schools are different. You want to send your kids to a good school. You like the school. They got good education or whatever. It's a safe environment. But then it comes to this issue of gender and sexual identity and all those kinds of things. And you don't agree with that. I think they're gonna. It's gonna be a challenge for schools to try to navigate those waters because people feel more obligated. Like I have to send my kids to a school, and this is the best school in town. But I don't agree with the, what the school teaches on this idea. Mm. So Oof. here we go. God yeah. be with us. Yeah. Um, do we want to jump to your topic, Matt, or should I bring up mine, keep our order? What do you think? Are we done on this subject? Yeah, we can be done. Yes. Um, I, don't, I don't care. Okay. So we, we're continuing the sermon series. Glad you asked, and we've been asking lots of, uh, or we're getting questions from the congregation and from the community. And so we've talked about suffering. We've talked about, um, or we talked about baptism, talked about lots of different things. Um, the, the next question that we're going to be focusing on, and I'll be writing a sermon on, is why does God let bad things happen? And this is one that has, you know, we could endlessly talk about this because there's it's so many levels, like big things. Uh, you know, we have a friend of our family now, a member of our congregation who's got cancer, stage four cancer, out of the blue. Why would God... Allow- younger guy, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not, you know... Very healthy younger yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but then it's the small things, too, like you're stuck in traffic and your kids are late for school or you have a the, the a stomach bug that was really, you know, and you're praying or you're, you lost your keys and you're going to be late for work and you could lose your job and you're praying that, you know, why doesn't God just remove all of these things in our lives. And so I think that that the reason this question can keep coming up is because it's like an every moment, every day mm-hmm. kind of thing that we, we go through. So do you guys ever struggle with that big thing, small things, or do you or do you just have a way of kind of accepting that life is hard and not expecting God to, to, to intervene? Or is this something that challenges your faith? Well, I was just going to add like 
just sitting in like our staff meetings when we all do prayer requests. Right. The last couple of weeks, it's felt like every week someone else is sick. Right. Or, I mean, I had a friend who's dad just died and you mm. had a friend who just died annie yeah 42 years old uh-huh. heart att- heart attack and asleep how do i tell you know how do i explain to his wife like you know yeah you know they're they're yeah. not christian how do i how do i explain that to her wow you know yeah and someone else on our staff has a family member who also has cancer now too yeah. not mm-hmm. to mention the number of shootings that happen but i I have no empathy. As we've we know discussed. that. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm not really shocked by things. Sure. And I think maybe I internalize it a little bit more if it's someone close to me. Sure. Right. Like I still don't consciously like register. I don't really get like depressed and I don't like really feel that. But I think I, I think it weighs on me probably more than I think it does because mm-hmm. I can feel myself get a little bit stressed. Sure. But um, it's really hard, it, you know, when it happens to somebody else. I'm basically always in a position like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to help you. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, t- To me, it's always been so hard because I just don't, I don't feel empathy, which is awful. But like... Yeah. Yeah. How, how about you, Annie? How do you how do you deal with? Well, I, I think, you know, your point about there being, you know, various levels of bad yeah. things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for smaller things like being stuck in traffic or, yeah. you know, being late to work, you know, we can I think it's easier to say th- something like, well, who knows? Had I left five minutes earlier, sure. I could have been in a car accident. Sure. Right. So like it's like when these smaller things happen, mm-hmm. you can kind of rationalize it rationalize it can i see the bigger picture or, or what could have happened or blame somebody else mm. like you, you, mean? you never think i never think about god when i'm like late i mean i'm late all the time but <laughs> when i'm late somewhere it's always like oh that idiot cut me off yeah and i was going on the on-ramp right. and they, whatever um but you i don't to me that i don't register that as a bad thing yeah like why does god let bad things happen it's like who are these idiots? And I don't, of course, I don't ever stop and think about the other person. Again, mm-hmm. no empathy whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but to your point about there being levels, it seems like we only, we only blame God when it's a really, really big thing. You're like, this is such a big tragedy. How could mm-hmm. God let this happen? Mm-hmm. But everything else, we're content to be like, oh, that's life. I I agree, but I also think that sometimes, anyway, I I think I've done it too, where. You just want some more evidence for God, and so your bot, you mm. God, just give me this job. It's there's three applicants, you know. I'm one of them. We're all qualified. If you give me this job, then I'll know, and then I'll finally, you know, then I'll my finance will finally get figured out or something like that. So these these smaller things, I don't. I think they also weigh on people also where. Those who aren't robots, maybe I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, I, I do think people think through them. That all right, God, give give me some proof here. Give me give me some answers. Uh, hmm. Guide me um, in this little thing too. Um, and okay, maybe you can't get rid of the big thing because you know this is we're already 
is already too far gone and you know you don't you don't want to make a big splash but could you give me a private splash could you give me a private mm-hmm. uh, so i think people struggle with that and i'm, I'm getting a lot of this thinking from a, a recent book that i've been reading um philip yancey's book disappointment with god three questions that um that no one asks out loud and the three questions he says is is god silent is god unfair is god hidden so you know, when he seems to not answer, when he seems to be unfair, you know, like you're talking about this friend of yours who, who died, um, and then um, hidden, like we can't find him anywhere. I'm not through the whole book, but I've really appreciated, first of all, he just kind of tracks the whole story of the Bible and brings up, first of all, that when God was visible, when God was loud, when God seemed to, especially with the Israelites, answer every problem or or punish every wrong it didn't seem to they still deviated yeah right right so that didn't seem to work and then how many times does god let himself look bad in the bible and not seem to clean it up like the book of job he doesn't clean it up and uh and then even the story of jesus there's so many things like why did god allow that to happen and that to happen even in the life of jesus or and just, it didn't seem to yeah the miracles jesus did and people were still like He's a witch, burn him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it doesn't seem to be the answer. And and so I also think that a lot of our struggle has to do, if, if you have the preconception that the goal of life is happiness or ease or non-pain, then any kind of pain is kind of a, a, a violation of what life is supposed to be. But the Bible also talks a lot about like how much we grow through pain and suffering and and and. It's through suffering that we were redeemed and rescued. Now, I don't know if that's that's probably not the answer for your friend right now. No. I, I um, just the answer is just to sit with them and to be with them and to be there through the pain. Right. But uh, but I I think it. I'm gonna keep on working on this in the next couple of weeks to continue to think about because it, it is it is a an ongoing challenge to try to walk with God even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. So, um, but I, I also think, you know, what you, what you said about the small things, like, well, maybe if this would have happened, that would have happened. And it's what, the, it's the piece of not knowing. So, but you can, you can kind of, at least for me personally, mm-hmm. it is easier for me to say, oh, I was, I mean, I don't know if it's ever happened to either of you where like, literally you're running late or something. Right. And then on your way to work, you see a car accident and you're right. like, Oh, could that have been me? Right. And was God sparing me from, right. you know, even though I'm late and I'm frustrated right. and whatever, is God sparing me from something right. that's going to be my excuse? Oh, every you're so time. full of it. You are so full of it. The snooze alarm was really the voice of God. <laughs> I, I think Tim Keller in his book The Reason for God says, "How do you know there's not a reason for the big stuff?" And and he 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 just kind of says, "Well, you." you can rationalize the smaller stuff. What about the big stuff? Maybe we just, you know, because just because we don't know there is, we can't see the reason. Like this, it seems totally illogical. What happened, to your friend? Doesn't mean it is. Um, doesn't. I mean, do we? Can we really see life and the world that clearly um, to to understand it all? And 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 maybe there is. A bigger purpose. So. I am comfortable saying that because right. I am a Christian. Right. So I am comfortable saying, right. This really sucks. Right. I am going to trust that God has something 
Right. You know, but how do I explain that? Right. To my, to the wife. Right. And so. the three small children. Right. You know, and even, I mean, he, he preceded his parents in death too. So it's like, wow. how do I explain this to right. this family? Right. You know? And I don't think you, you do. No, uh, you I know, agree. I, you know, well, I, I think the, the wonder and the beauty of the book of Job is that when, when Job was crying out to God, um, God let him cry out. Um, and what God really got angry with was these three friends who thought they could speak into it and mm. they understood God and God really judged them. Cause a lot of times when we speak into it, um, we're doing it for ourselves, not for the other person. We're trying to, you know, make sense of it so that we can also make sense of our lives. Like you did something wrong and that's why it's happened to you. And so I haven't done those things that are wrong. So it's not going to happen to you. It's almost kind of like protecting ourselves. A lot of times that's what happens. But I, I think the book of Job tells us to be okay in the silence, to, to not have all the answers, but to sit with the people who are struggling and to say, I don't know, but I'm going to be here the whole way through it. Um, I do think there is a time, like you said, hopefully you do get to a point of acceptance. You do get to a point where I believe everything that has been hidden will be made known um, in, in God's return. And we have glimpses through Christian history when God has been silent and then he resolves something or God has seemed unfair, like the death of Jesus on the cross, the, the whipping and the murder of Christ— and then his resurrection, where he has been validated, that we can look at glimpses of that. Right. But it's really hard in the moment. Yeah. So thank you for helping me kind of speak into it. I think these are going to be the challenges as I preach on this. How do I preach as if your friend is listening uh, and speak in a way that that acknowledges the mystery and the pain? And, and what do we say and not make trite little answers that right. aren't going to help the right. person in the moment, right? Yeah. Um, could we maybe just spend a minute talking about how, like, when a tragedy happens, yeah, um, it seems like some people will just go to church. They'll just flock into church and be right. like, oh, man, like, we need to pray. We right. need to get back to God. Right. And other people say, God oh, no. does not exist. Right. Or, I'm, or, you know, maybe they're angry and they will say he doesn't exist, but really they're just angry at him. But right. those, just those two different reactions are so extreme yeah and and uh, yeah i mean just just why yeah Mm. what's interesting again the book of job job has both of those you know sometimes in the beginning he says um naked i came into this world and naked i'll depart um the lord gives and the lord takes away may the name of the lord be praised so he says that once, and then sometimes he says, God, take me. Why did you let me be born? You're making no sense. I hate you. You know, he says all those things. So that's interesting that sometimes it's not so clear that in the grieving process, we might fall into both those camps at different times. Um, I think it also does have to do, well, I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit at the end of the day for the people who are able to hold on. And I do think it is your assumption of the world. If you assume that this world is always going to make complete rational sense, that God's goal is to make me happy, that God is not going to allow me to suffer, um, and there's no such thing as the Christian cross that I have to carry, 
it's going to be much harder when you do face those crosses. So I think sometimes your assumptions can also play into it. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I could see why you would get to that point where you would be, you give up. I could see that, you know, where, where it just made totally irrational sense. I mean, I think there'd be things that if God took away from me, I'd have a really hard time believing in him. Um, so I guess I want to empathize, first of all, with those people who walk away. Uh, and then, yeah, then it is amazing. It is amazing to see people who find a whole new, deeper walk with God through tragedy. And that's inspiring. It's a, it's, a, it's a type of strength that you don't see anywhere else. So I don't know if it answers your question, but that, that does happen, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about it. But I like what you said about um, that it's not— that. It, one person can experience both. Right. And mm-hmm. maybe that's just part of your grieving process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to swing one way, swing the other way. I mean, because, you know, depending on the, the gravity of the situation, I mean, you could be emotionally very unstable for a very long time. And what I love about the book of Job is God does not judge Job for being angry. And the whole book of Psalms, many of the Psalms give us words to yell at God when we're angry, and God seems to be able to take them. Because I think when you're you're yelling at God, you still you're still acknowledging him, right? You might not agree with mm-hmm, him, mm-hmm. but you're still acknowledging that he exists. I mean, the scariest thing is I think when people just kind of go numb and to to it all and they don't even but but um at least there's engagement. I think, you know, even as a parent, you know, I think you'd rather have your kid engage with you, even if he's angry, than totally just abandon you and numb out and walk away, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think we need to leave room for people to lament, leave room for people to be angry and not get so uncomfortable if they say, I hate God. I'm so mad at him right now. Okay, let, let somebody lament. Let somebody say that and not try to clean it up right away. Mm-hmm. Let, the, let the emotions be what they are. Should we be good on that one? That's, that's tough. Okay. Okay. okay so uh, my topic was... Uh, a- uh, uh, email we got last week or whatever, whenever it was. Um, and I'm just going to combine singleness and dating as sort of like, if you're a single person in the church, you know, how, what is your role? Mm-hmm. Um, what are, I don't know, kind of like, what are the rules for dating maybe is the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how does that, how does that all fit together? And so mm-hmm. I'm taking this topic as the one single cool bachelor in That's this right. group. Um, <laughs> and, and I would start, I would start with, with this point, which is that um, whenever this topic comes up in church, I mean, you t- if you talk to anybody who's been married for like a year and they'll say, I don't marry for looks, you know, you got to make sure you find someone with a lot of great substance, which seems obvious, but the older they get, the more they forego looks in the in the priorities, and I've heard people that are up there in years say like looks like you wouldn't like looks don't matter at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like easy for you to say <laughs> you're a hundred and fifty, you know. But it seems like the older they get, they say you know, and and I understand like mm-hmm. in my head. Sure. Obviously, you want someone who's wise, yeah. you know, who's a strong yeah. person on the inside, and you don't just want another pretty face. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I mean, we're we're just I don't know. What what do you guys have to say about this? You're both happily married oh, yeah. for like over a decade or so. I don't know if I've ever given anyone that advice to to not be attracted to the, you know. I Agreed. Think, I think like, I think attraction is a big a huge. big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's just see that's be, in 25 years you'll change your tune maybe. <laughs> um, I think as Walter Wengren wrote a book, uh, "The Two Shall Be One." I think that's what it's called. But he just talks about how don't squash that kind of honeymoon romantic um giddiness of people who just start dating or engaged or whatever because he's like you need that almost irrational euphoria yes to make the biggest craziest decision of your life that i'm going to bond with this person closer than any other person you know than any other family member you know they'll be closer to me than my my own family my own parents and we're going to live in the same house for the rest of our lives you need that kind of crazy amount of hormones pumping through your body to make that kind of hundred percent. Yeah. Cause things are going to get hard and they're going to get weird and you just, yes, yes. So I would not, yeah, I I would never say that don't, don't be attracted to the, but that's, but, but again, this is when you're young, you know, typically when you're younger, as opposed to when you're, you know, I think when you're older now, obviously, if they're if you're just attracted to the person but you're completely bored with them oh, that doesn't work either yeah if you're or or they're you know you just you, you you know i have a hard time giving advice on this because in i never dating did not work out well for me in high school it, i never really didn't i don't know didn't really date too many people maybe because they didn't want to date me i don't know what it was but with <laughs> emily like it really was like we just both knew like it was like we were both very attracted to each other we just we had a great time together and it was like a month later, we were like, yeah, I think this, this is probably it, mm. you know? And wow. that, so when people are asking like, how do you know? And I'm always like, if you don't know, I don't know how long should be sticking around. I don't know. That's to, my, to that's, quote crush from finding Nemo. Yeah. But when they know, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. Boy. <laughs> I, yeah. Does that help? I, I don't know. I, I, here's, just... here's what I think. I think I think that uh, right. Everybody has flaws, right? And so, obviously, whoever you end up with, there are going to be flaws. It's like it's more about what can you deal with. Yeah. You know, some things are absolute deal breakers. Yeah. But I don't think anybody should settle. Listen, we all settle to some degree because nobody's perfect, right? right? So again, you have to take. Yeah. You know, some flaws. But what what are your deal bla- deal breaker flaws and yeah. You know, and, and the point is don't settle. You right. can find somebody who, who meets your criteria, right. you know? Yeah. And then I think we, we looking back and doing some marriage counseling and, and seeing things that didn't work out. I mean, if there are some red flags, for me, the red flags are the controlling. Oof. Like, is this person going to control you? Um, do they do you feel like you need them? Like you're not yourself without them. Like you have to be controlled or, or they're, they're okay with controlling you. Do you see any hints of that? Like you'd be very careful of that. Um, you know, I think it's okay too. Cause you can be blinded by the euphoria. Like if there are some people you really trust that continue to say like, I'm really concerned about this. You might be, you know, mm-hmm. there might be something because you can be attracted to somebody so much. So, but then after the wedding 
they they I've seen this where they there was hints of this probably especially the control or the narcissism and things like that that really now they got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. So you do have to be careful with that. Um but in, in in healthy relationships, yeah, you're both settling. I think you have to make that point too, because it's about your commitment. Once you commit to them, um, you're you're gonna. It's not about you anymore. And then if you if God allows you to have children, that's a whole other commitment where you didn't choose that either. But you're gonna be committed to these children, um, whether they always meet your needs or make you happy or whatever. Um, yeah, so. But what, my, yeah, yeah. Go, we want to go back. To, yeah, I feel like. Do you have more questions about just like? Yeah, yeah I found singleness. the I found the email that yeah. has. Okay. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of questions here. I'll I'll just pick a few. Um, here actually here's one that's sort of related. So what's what is the role of sexuality in a single person? Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that's single people who are looking to date or get married. Maybe that's single people who are not. Or who are who have just decided they're not going to get married, yeah. or who are out of options. I don't know. Yeah. But they still have a sexuality, and what is how how can that be used in the church? Yeah, I think this is really hard. <laughs> I, that to figure out, you know, like you might know, you probably understand that what's going on way better than we or I, especially I do when it comes to the dating world right now and like the expectations in dating, even in the Christian church, it seems like, I think we may mentioned like we talked the whole episode on the hookup culture in the, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so that's gotta be really tough. If you're saying, I want to be faithful to what God's word says, I want to uh, not have sex outside of marriage. Um, so how do I practice self-control? Um, the other thing though is, from what I, the little I understand about science, um, you know, testosterone and all these sex hormones are not just for sex. Like we need these for motivation. We yeah. use these for, for so many other bodily functions and, and, in you know, making us healthy people. And so if you say, I just wish I didn't have any sexual urges, well, you would learn, lose motivation for almost everything else as well. So there's, you know, your, your passions are, can be channeled for lots of different things. So I think we have to be careful to, to call all of our passions sinful mm-hmm. about how are we going to channel them. Um, and, and I, I do think, especially, especially for men who seem to have, you know, much more testosterone, you know, that much more strong, strong, uh, sexual urge, um, to use that to become the kind of man that a woman would say, I'm not settling too much. You know, this guy's, this is a good guy to, to let that drive you into becoming the kind of person that, that someone would want to marry. Um, I don't know those are my quick thoughts. It, it, I do think we need to create real friendships, real community in the Christian church for, for, for singles, things like that. I don't know. I think we do a great job here yet. We can keep working on that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've heard from other people where being single in the church, like young people, yeah, friends who have like gone into church and are basically asked by an old lady like oh when are you gonna when get, are you get married <laughs> and like oh i can i introduce you to my nephew or something like that yeah um i don't know yeah like you said i, I feel like like here we're we're pretty chill about all that but why is it that in some places like single is a taboo and it's basically like <laughs> your eggs are dying girl like what's up <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 
uh, Paul talks about as a blessing. You know, yeah, I could get a lot more done if I was single. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> yes. That's what he says. Um, that he talks about if you if you have that gift, he calls it a gift of of self control, or maybe you, you don't necessarily have strong desires. I have to be married, you know, to look at that as a blessing and a gift, and you can do so many things to be devoted to the Lord. Um, it's not a higher calling or a lower calling. I think there's some people mm. who've you know created singleness, like like the Catholic Church has said you have to be single to be, to be a priest, and Seems almost like as a, the Protestant Church is the opposite. Yeah, like yeah. exactly, you have to get married, um, mm. and that's a higher calling. It's just a different calling it has different mm. blessings and challenges. I, I think one of the biggest challenges though is is loneliness. You know, who do you go home to, and so how do we, how do you have a create a a sense of community? You yeah. become one of those 30-year-old guys who gets real obsessed with his dog. <laughs> <laughs> those people scare me. You get a dog yet? No, I don't <laughs> okay. want an animal okay. in my house. All right. Yeah, I, it's a challenge, though. I don't know if we're answering. Are we, are we getting there, I just, you think? Uh, I'm just kind of like, there's some questions I just wanted to you know, go through and give, yeah. every, give everything some a fair amount of time. Yeah. Um, to anyone listening out there who is in the situation where you have relatives or people at church asking you when you're going to get married. Um, Tell them to mind their business. No, I've come up with the perfect response. Okay. You say, we'll see what the Lord has planned. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they can't do anything about that. Yeah. Well, because I, you know, I think probably back in the day, you know, and maybe we've talked about this or maybe I've talked to Dave about it. Like, to, you know, you, you would, you know, go to a, like a wedding and you'd, you know, like kind of get introduced to people. And that's kind of how you know, relationships were formed and marriages and whatnot. Like, so it's, I mean, it's obviously very different now, but I think, you know, some of these old school church ladies and whatnot, you know, like this is how, that's probably how, you know, maybe they met their husband through a friend or, Mm -hmm. you know, through a family member or something. So it's just different. And if you are looking, I still believe if you can have friends that help you find somebody and validate them and, and like, okay, I don't know. I know a lot of people have found online dating a good thing. I just, man, maybe I'm just old school on that. It's just got to be so hard. It's got to be so hard to be honest with yourself and with others, right? Yeah, I don't know. But it, it's working for some. I know I know quite a few people that it's worked out for. I just had a thought. Let's hear it. It's loading. Hang on. <laughs> I see the wheels turning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Buffering, buffering. Uh, oh, gosh. It was... It's a fairly good point too. Um, dang it! It'll come. It'll come back. It'll come back. But I, I think it, it's hard, and especially if you're, um, if you don't have a lot of family and friends and community around you. You know, the, Sam is. Does he have family in, mm-hmm. in in Arizona? Okay, mm-hmm. that that can be really helpful just to be around people are close to you. Um, but if you are by yourself and you know, you took a job somewhere far away and you're going into the church and you're a single person, that's just gotta be, it's gotta be really challenging. And I hope we as pastors and churches can see that and find ways to help Mm -hmm. create community and relationships. Here's a question about dating. Okay. Um, so like best practices for dating uh, as like timing and age. So like what, uh, this is more geared towards y'all as parents, but when is a good age to date? And I will start by saying, I think 
like the kind of the first person I dated somewhat seriously was when I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people date younger than that. I've looking back, I feel like I just was so stupid. Like, I just feel like I, that was too young. Like, it's just dumb. Like you're just a stupid, stupid kid at that <laughs> age. No, I think I, you know, I think, you know, we would hang out with friends and mm-hmm. we never really called it dating group. Mm-hmm. Da- you know, we, I think my first probably one-on-one date, I think I was like 16 mm-hmm. and it was for coffee. Like it wasn't yeah. anything crazy, you know, like, um, but I, I, I'm of the opinion that you should date as many people as you possibly can so that you kind of get a, and I don't mean seriously date. I mean, Mm -hmm. just, you know, go on a lot of dates and talk Mm -hmm. to people and figure out what you like and what, you know, what are your deal breakers? What are your, you know, talk to as many people as you can. Yeah. And again, dates, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it could be coffee. It could be dinner. It could be, you know, whatever. Right. Talk to as many people as you can and figure out what you like and don't like. I've tried something. I don't know if I've been successful at it, but I've taken our daughters out and I call them like, you know, daddy dates and things like that. And just have tried to be intentional about, you know, so when you're looking for a guy someday, you know, hopefully there's somebody who, who rides a motorcycle, a little greasy, (laughs) long hair and tattoos. Yes. (laughs) I'm here for it. I, yeah, it really depends. Like how serious are you? I mean, I agree. If you can, especially in friend groups and you go right. out and hang out together, kind of get to know what that what the, that whole game is all about because it can be a kind of a game. Um, as long as you're, you, you have enough self-confidence to say no if things are getting out of hand, right? If, if they are just want to hang out with you to, you know, go too far and things like that. I do think in our hookup culture kind of world, it's really hard because it seems like the hookup is before the dating process right now. So it's hard mm-hmm. to know when to start dating because there's just all these, the, it's hard to find what you were saying. You're just let's go for coffee. Let's just hang out. Let's become friends. Let's like get to know each other. Yeah. Almost what the old school people used to say was courting, you know, like courting, oh, yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So mm-hmm. I think it has a lot more to do with expectations than age. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's a question that's not from the email, and it'll be my last question. Um, uh, so I've had conversations of, with other people about this, but um, when you're dating somebody and you put up boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, specifically physical physical mm-hmm. boundaries, yeah. um, and I just said this to a friend that the, the second easiest thing in the world to do is set boundaries. Yeah, you know, surpassed only by crossing those boundaries. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you you could end up with situations where okay, two people are both Christian, they're both, right. you know, they're not they're they're serious, right? And they are spending a lot of time, and maybe they're getting serious, and those boundaries are slowly slowly getting crossed, right? And you can't stop, right? Or you can't you can't go backwards, right? You know, um, so. I don't know what do you what do you tell like how do you give those people help because you know you feel they feel guilty and they're like we shouldn't be doing this and at the same time like once you've crossed a line you've committed that sin yeah. and now it's like oh so it's now easier to continue committing this yeah sin. it's like if we oh we we're, we're not doing anything new if we yeah. keep doing it <laughs> yeah you know 
You can't uncross the boundary. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're sinning more? No, we're just, you know. I well, think that, I, I, I think, I try to tell our, like, teenagers, like, I don't know if it's really good, our cultural practice of, like, let's date for four years, and then let's get engaged, and then an engagement's going to be a two-year engagement. Like, I think Paul said, for a reason, I think it's First Corinthians 16 or, se- or 6 or 7, where it says, you know, better to marry than to burn with passion. So I think that's good advice. You know, if you're ready and you know the person and like this idea, I have to get all of my finances, all of my life completely together mm. before I can get married. Uh, I don't think that's great advice personally. And not only that, but I, I you know, I kind of mentioned criteria, meeting your criteria. And I want to kind of just go back and touch on that. Like, I think it's not healthy to have these criteria. Like they must be six foot two, They must, you know, and have these kind of like kind of really absurd and meticulous criteria, you know, so. Six foot one is all you need, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) uh, Now, I have had people who were living together or whatever, and they said, you know what, now I realize it's wrong. We're going to, we're going to move out. We're going to do something different. Um. We're going to move the wedding date up. We're going to have a private wedding. And then, you know, then this whole ceremony we've planned for a year now, we're going to do that in a year. So I think there are ways to kind of acknowledge and, and go in a different direction. Um, it's just really, again, that's different with cul- culturally. I th- I, has there ever been a time in culture in the last 6,000 years compared to the last 50 years where single people were living away from their family in their own houses? You know, that just that's new. Um, you'd usually stay at home until you got married, and then you started a new home. And so now, for for men and women to have homes, apartments, or whatever by themselves, you know, and then you're just hanging out with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever at your your house. You're, are you really gonna go go back to your separate home? So there's a lot of just how society is run today that I think it makes it even more challenging if you're trying to stay faithful to God's word. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of friends in the last couple of years who have been dating and then just engaged, married like within months. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's brilliant. Yeah, that's what I, Cheap, me too. Just do it in the church basement. Everybody brings some sloppy joes. Get her done. <laughs> Potluck. Sign style. the paper, be done. I think this idea of the, the fifteen thousand, thirty thousand dollar wedding is Ugh. a new is a new kind it's like of thing. Th- it's up to like thirty five, I think. Okay. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I mean it doesn't and there, there, I think sometimes there is a. I've, I've read articles on this too, where because it used to be the big thing is we're moving in together when we got married. Now that's not a big thing anymore because we've been living in the same house. And so now we have to make the marriage ceremony an even bigger deal um, mm-hmm. because there's nothing that's really unique about. Well, and we don't have to maybe buy a house because we already did. So we right. can spend this money on the ceremony. Right. Good Lord. I know. So, he is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I think it, it's it's a challenge. I don't know if we've answered all those questions, but I do think at least being aware that a mo- modern day dating is poison. It's hard. It's really, it's a challenge that's, that, that I, th- there's no... There's nothing in society, nothing in family structure, nothing in that that is holding you back from just living together. 
it's all there. And so you really would have to have some really strong Christian convictions to not take that step. So the moral is hold tight to your convictions. Don't settle. Be yourself. Yeah. You and then when you get married, get married. Yeah. That's what I think. I mean. And another good takeaway, I think, was um, don't try to value being married over being single or being yes, single that's over huge. being married. Yes, yeah. that's just, huge. Huge. It's a, it's a calling for an amount of time in your life and... It both are useful. That's right. Mm-hmm. And just because that's, I hear a lot of people who just get nagged on by their family members. And yeah. Yeah. So, oh yeah, don't nag your family members. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you guys. I thought this was a good conversation. Yep. All right. Groovy. Groovy. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, Feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.